We truly thank Cal and Rebecca for sharing their story with us. So inspiring. And we're talking in this series about seeing God's glory. And I believe we see God's glory in our stories. Amen? That we all have a story. And when we share it in a way that's deep and raw and transparent, we see God's hand. We see God's provision. We see God's protection. Let's continue to share our stories with one another. May God be glorified in how he's working in our lives as a church family. And today we're going to turn to Psalm 57. We're wrapping up this series, Seeing God's Glory. We're in the Psalms. This is David who's the author, and this is all God's Word, 66 books, many different authors. David sharing here about hope in the darkest cave. Can you relate to being in a cave? You know what that's like in life? And finding hope in that darkest cave. We're in Psalm 57, and then next week we'll start a new series going through the book of 2 Corinthians, talking about a Jesus community, looking at that Jesus community, thinking about our Jesus community. We'll go through the book of 2 Corinthians. And today also we wrap up the 21 days of fasting and intentionally praying together. And we thank God for what he's revealed during this time, how he's moved our hearts, how we've grown together during this time. Go and enjoy that meal. For some of you, it's desserts. Uh, For some of you, maybe it's social media. It's something on television. It's good to fast. It's good to feast. Both are in the Bible. But uh, let me say this. Let's stay hungry for the Lord. Just because the 21 days of fasting just ended and go and enjoy that big meal, you know, whatever you've said no to, dive into that, enjoy it. But let's stay hungry for Jesus. And during this time... I don't want to go back and be like I was 21 days ago. I don't want to just go back to that. I want to move forward with God. And maybe for some of you, you've got a taste of a longer prayer time or more scripture during the week, more praise music. And you're like, I don't want to go back. Or maybe taking a break for something revealed some idolatry. And you're like, it's going to look different in my life going forward. And maybe you continue to fast one meal a week. Or what does that look like? The important part is the hunger for God. And we sense God's doing something special this year. That there's no limits to what God can do in 2022. And so praise God for the time of fasting. Praise God for times of feasting. Let's stay hungry for God in both. And we're seeking God together. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness, your provision. God, we thank you for our story. When we think back about our journey and how you've been gracious and kind and patient for your purpose in our lives, we're so grateful. We come to you with praise today. We come to you with honor and respect, here to glorify you and grow closer to you, grow in our faith together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 57 is about seeking God, both in times of danger and also in times of deliverance. You see both in this psalm, danger and deliverance, what does it look like to seek God in both? Now, David is in a cave, and he's learning how to find hope in the darkest cave. I think that's one of the most important things in life and in our relationship with God, to learn how to find your strength and hope in the Lord when the situation looks extremely bleak or painful and it doesn't look like there's a way out. How do you find hope and strength in the Lord? And David is in a cave because the current king Saul wants to kill him. Saul is a jealous man. David has been anointed to be the next king. David has military prowess. People are starting to notice David. Saul is envious and Saul wants to take David out. 
He has all the military. He has all the authority. David's on the run. And not only that on a human level, but on a spiritual level, Jesus will come from the lineage. He's one of the descendants of David. And ultimately, there's a devil who wants to take Jesus out and take his followers out. And so both are happening on a human level and then on this level of a spiritual battle at the same time. And I think for many of us, we know what it likes to feel like to be in a cave. Maybe in some ways there's some isolation, some discouragement going on in your life. Maybe you're running away from something and you can relate to being in a cave and needing God's help. Today we're going to focus on three keys with seeking God and finding hope. Psalm 57, starting at verse 1. David writes and prays this, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. Here's the first key. In times of danger, you still have a protector, a purpose, and many promises. In times of danger, you still have a lot. You still have a protector, a purpose, and many promises. When you're in a cave, you feel like you don't have much. In a cave, you might feel like I don't have anything. In a cave, it's easy to dwell on what we've lost. In a cave, it's easy to think about the lack But your faith is greater than your lack. Your gratitude is greater than your lack. Your hope is greater than your lack. Why? Because your God is greater than your lack. Your God is greater than all that you've lost, than the lack that you notice. Turn to God. And a protector is who God is. Now, David prays this prayer, Have mercy on me, O God. He knows that there's sin in his life, there's rebellion in his life, there's stubbornness in his life, and he's praying, God, have mercy on me. He's coming to God for mercy and for protection. And he finds a protection, he says, in the shadow of your wings. God's protection is one of the messiest theological topics that I can think of. And let me just share it this way briefly. On the one hand, It's absolutely a certainty and a yes and amen that God is our protector and he protects us in so many ways. And I could share endless stories of God's protection relationally, emotionally, spiritually, financially. I mean, the list goes on and on about ways that God protects us and we don't even see all of it because he sends angels and he protects us in ways we don't even visibly notice. God's protection is real and he is our protector. There's another piece to consider, and this is where the tension is. How exactly is God going to protect us? Have you felt that tension? Listen, this is not our home. Ultimately, we're going to go home and be with God. So when are we going to go home? What's our last day and breath? How is that going to play out? Well, there's some tension Because all of us would like to live till we're 100 and be healthy every day and so many other things. And yet, in terms of protection, there's going to be moments in our life, and I experienced it in a severe way in my 20s when I was fighting for my life for a year and just wondering, God, what does your protection look like right now? Sometimes we have expectations that then look different than the reality. And you're going to be in these moments in your faith where you're like, God, you're my protector 
Well, I didn't think this was going to happen in my life. I don't feel protected like I thought I would right now. Do you notice that tension? He is our protector. He protects us. But the tension is what does that actually look like as I go through life? And what's it going to look like this year? And what's it going to look like next year? And what about the person who just went to go be with him that I thought was going to be around for a long time? And there's the tension with God's protection. And what does God allow and what does he cause? And what does he not want but people sin and do to one another? And how does that all work tying into his protection? So that tension is real. Here's my encouragement. In that tension, trust God. That's where I found peace. In the tension, in the uncertainty, and in the unknown, as it relates to protection, I'm going to choose to trust God. And it is ultimately freeing when I don't hold on to this earth, but I say, heaven is my home. And it is extremely freeing to say, I'm living for God's glory. That's how Jesus handled it. What did protection look like for Jesus in his 30s when he was on the cross? He was right in the middle of the Father's will, being murdered. And where did he find that peace? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And Father, if it glorifies you, then I'm going to walk through this. And there's a peace in our hearts when we know heaven's our home. We're living down here to glorify God, and I'm going to let go of all my idols. But it's messy. And there's a tension there. And David is so often in that place of tension. But he knows who his protector is. And he goes and he finds his refuge in the shadow of God's wings. We have a protector who's still in the cave. We also have a purpose. David writes, God who fulfills his purpose for me. God who ultimately makes an end of my troubles is what it literally means. God will prevail. God has a purpose for us. This is what we reject, that we are just here by accident, and there's no creator, and it's just coincidence, and it was just what happened physically, and now we're just here. We reject that thinking. We reject those lies because here's the truth. We all have a maker. Our maker is good. We are all made in God's image. God gives us gifts. God gives us a purpose. Our God will guide us. We have a close relationship with God. I have concern in the youngest generation when they're just told, well, everything just happened by chance. You know, this just happened and you're just here and what's your purpose? I don't know. No, you have a purpose from God. You are made in his image. We have a relationship with our maker, and it's a deep identity in God. And that's the place of peace and security in our lives. And you can know today your purpose is outstanding in the Lord. Not random relationship with our maker. And David has that confidence. He's got a purpose. You say this purpose includes daily details and deeper desires. There's daily details in the cave. Where are you going to find food today in the cave? That's the daily detail. God's in the daily details. But also the deeper desires. David is on a path to be king, to see restoration and spiritual health in Israel. There's a deeper desire. And purpose includes both. God is in both in your life. The daily details, the deeper desires. And even in the cave, David's very aware of his protector and his purpose. And it leads to promises as well. David says, you send two things, oh God. Uh, Amazon comes to your door, right? (laughs) Doorbell rings. It's kind of exciting. It feels a little like Christmas. Like, okay, which order? What did we get? And and you look out, 
Two packages there from Amazon. Here's two packages from God, his love and his faithfulness. They're for you. Unwrap them, savor them, enjoy them. Two gifts, God's love and God's faithfulness. That's what he sends. And this goes back, when you think about the promises, that God is faithful to his promises, that his promises are based in his love. When you go back in David's life, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel, who's the prophet? And you could say at that time in the land, no one was more tuned into God than Samuel, and yet he can't identify who the next king is. And when he shows up at Jesse's house, he keeps making the wrong guess and the wrong guess and the wrong guess. And finally, you know, God's going to reveal to Samuel, it's David, the one out there taking care of the sheep. There's a promise and a purpose from God on David's life that no one can take away. And what's important for you is not how people see you or overlook you or judge you. That's not what's important. What's important is the promise that God has put on your life through his word and through his spirit. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that God gives David a promise that someone from his descendants, one of his in the lineage, will always be on the throne. Well, what does that promise look like? Jesus will be in David's lineage, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, always on the throne. It goes back to the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You need some promises. When you're in the cave, you need a protector. You need to know you have a purpose. And you need some promises. Well, what, what are your promises that you're aware of, that you're holding on to, that you declare during the week? God will never leave me or forsake me. That's a promise for you. God's grace is sufficient. That's a promise for you. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. That's a promise for you. You hold on to those promises in the cave because your protector's still there. There's still a purpose on your life from God, and he's given you promises, and that's where David is finding hope. And I want to share this. I made two diagrams, two graphs. Hope these are helpful for you today. Here's the first one. On the left axis, we have being comfortable. And on the lower axis, we have growth, in spiritual growth specifically. Notice, so often in life, the more comfortable we are, the less we grow spiritually. And when we're not very comfortable in life, we grow tremendously spiritually. Really sincerely seeking God, hungry for God. Now, I want to point this out. If being comfortable is an idol, if being comfortable is your main goal, look right there, you're probably going to stunt your spiritual growth. Let me just say that again. If being comfortable, which for so many people in America, it is a primary goal, if that's your primary goal in life is to make everything comfortable, it's probably going to stunt your spiritual growth along the way. Now, none of us want to you know, get uncomfortable But listen, life has a way, and God has a way of breaking down our pride, in breaking down our small thinking, in breaking down our stubbornness. And so often, there is the brokenness before the breakthrough. And if we're not humbled in healthy brokenness, now I don't mean low self-esteem, the devil's an accuser, not that kind of brokenness. I'm talking about a humble hunger for God where we be real with one another, be real with God, know how much we need him. When that happens in your life, that's fertile ground for a spiritual breakthrough. 
And so often it will be the situations in our life that don't feel comfortable that lead to this breakthrough. And I want to declare right now that this time that we're in is ripe for breakthrough. It is. This time we're in right now is ripe for revival. This time we're in right now is ripe for a movement. This time we're in right now is ripe for spiritual growth. There's never been, in 75 countries, there's never been more online searches for prayer and for God. What's happening right now? The world is not comfortable. The world is not comfortable. And that has our attention. And what are we going to do with that? Let's look to God, who's our protector, who has a purpose for our lives, who has promise, and let's grow together. That's what David's doing in the cave. He's spiritually growing, and he's finding hope in the Lord. Now, that leads to this second section, and take a look at verse 4. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Here's the second key in the cave. Persistent and passionate prayer is often the hinge for deliverance. Say it again. Persistent and passionate prayer is so often the hinge for deliverance. I want to show you a picture in our neighborhood this week, a surprise guest. Take a look here. Ooh. (laughs) How about a bobcat in your backyard? What do you do when the neighbors take a picture of a bobcat in the backyard? And I think of the scripture where uh, the Bible says the devil, like a lion, looks to devour people. In the spiritual battle that we're in, the devil's looking to devour people. And I thought about this bobcat. That'll change the way you walk. I went for a walk this morning, and I was doing uh, that. You know, I had Bella. Oh, our fierce dog Bella was with me. But, but I was doing one of those head on a swivel, 180 degrees, like... Uh, When there's a bobcat in your backyard, you don't walk over and go, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. Brought you a snack. Just wanted to have a little picnic with the bobcat in the backyard. That's not what you do. The devil, the Bible says, resist him. Secret sins, you don't go to the devil and say, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Secret sins, you don't say, oh, just have a little picnic with the devil over here. I've got some good news. The Lion of Judah is greater than the devil. There's another lion, and the Holy Spirit in you is greater than the one who's in the world. You don't have to fear demons. You don't have to fear the devil. There can be no fear in it. His perfect love drives out fear. There's spiritual power in Jesus' name and in the Holy Spirit in you. And you call on Jesus in the spiritual battle. Now, David right here refers to lions. He says their teeth are like spears. And also their tongues are like sharp swords. Now, it's a both and. It's a metaphor, but he really has people coming to kill him. He has people saying things about him. And it's important to discern these three things. What's the activity of demons? What's the activity of distractors? And what's the activity of detractors? 
In your life, there's going to be demons in a spiritual battle, and you need to know, Ephesians 6, how to walk through a spiritual battle in prayer, right? Spiritual armor is on. Then you're going to have distractors in your life. These are people that are well-intentioned. They really mean well. They're not malicious or malevolent, but they're going to distract you from what God's calling you to do, and you need to be discerning. And then you're going to have detractors who want to undermine you and take you down. And that's what David is dealing with here. And he's using the metaphor lions. It's their words that hurt so much. It's when people, what do they do? They verbally attack. They slander. They gossip. They twist. They criticize in unfair ways. Their mouths, it's like swords. And they just take people down. And David is like, I've had it. I've heard their words. They come physically to attack me. And what is he going to do in that situation in the cave? Here's the two things. Problems and praise. First, you bring God, you talk with God about your problems. And you say, God, here's a problem, here's a burden. Are you talking with God about your problems during this week? Or are you just on your own strength, just trying to solve everything? You talk to God about your problems. Listen, we don't carry God, God carries us. We, we don't have to carry all the stress. God wants to carry the burdens. You talk about the problems with the Lord. You call on his name. You give him the burdens. That's what David's doing in the cave. Because he can't compete against Saul and the lions that are coming, but he knows one who can. And so we bring our problems. We don't stuff them and hold on to them. And for 15 years, they've been eating my lunch. Like, that's not how we deal with stuff. We bring them to the Lord, give them to the Lord, call on the Lord, confidence in the Lord, his problems. And then also his praise. I will awaken the dawn. Get out all the instruments. I'm going to give God praise with all the instruments and all the voices in all my heart. We're going to praise the Lord. We're not going to hold back in praise. Well, David, shouldn't you wait until maybe you know, God protects you and delivers you from Saul, and then you'll praise him? You know, shouldn't you wait until the pandemic's over? Shouldn't you wait till your bank account's perfect? Shouldn't you wait till you have your ideal job? Shouldn't you wait until... No, we're not waiting for nothing. We're praising him right here and right now with all the instruments, with our hearts. You praise him in the danger. You praise him in the deliverance. We're not waiting for nobody. And David is going to praise the Lord. This is what I want you to know. Prayer is the hinge. Prayer is the hinge. I brought something here, a visual. It's very small. It's a hinge. It's a hinge. You say, well, that doesn't look very big or impressive. Kind of small. Yeah, you're right. A hinge is kind of small. Prayer, for many people, they belittle it. Oh, why would you spend time in prayer? I mean, we've got technology. You're intelligent. Like, why would you ever stop and pray? Prayer looks so small in our culture. Prayer? (laughs) Don't prioritize that in your schedule. Just, Just do everything in your own strength. Well, prayer, it might appear small, but it's powerful. And this little hinge, secure, praying, secure in the Lord, this little hinge can flip doors. This little hinge can flip mountains. Prayer, when you step into prayer and you seek the Lord, God will take that, what looks like a little prayer, and he'll start to move mountains because prayer is the hinge. Now, when the Israelites were trapped in slavery, and some of us have been trapped in sin, when the Israelites were trapped in slavery, they cried out to God. Prayer was the hinge. God heard their prayers, had compassion, and delivered them from Egypt. In Exodus 17, 
This is what Moses learned. He used to do things in his own strength, but what he learned is that prayer is the hinge. And when the Amalekites came, Moses lifted up his arms, and he knew his own weakness, and so Aaron and her were there holding up his arms, and whenever his arms were lifted up in prayer, because prayer is the hinge, God would prevail in the battle. But when the prayer dropped and the arms dropped, the battle changed, and so prayer is the hinge. We see this throughout Scripture. We just fasted for 21 days. Why did we do that? Because in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel fasts for 21 days. And as he fasts, angels break through against demons. As he fasts, God touches him and gives him visions. As he fasts, God reveals, God strengthens. In those 21 days are a key how he thrives in Babylon. Many people today are not thriving spiritually in America, because they haven't realized prayer is the hinge. Prayer is the hinge throughout the Bible. I want to read from Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Remember, protection's messy. James is killed. Peter's going to have a miracle right here. But James dies, goes to be with the Lord, And then when he saw this, that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. What did Herod want to do to Peter? Kill him, just like James. Now, verse 5, it's a hinge verse. There's hinge verses in your Bible. Chapter 12, verse 5 in Acts. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's the hinge right there. The church realizes prayer is the hinge, and the church goes to prayer. God sends angels. There's a deliverance. There's a miracle. And what is Peter going to do after his breakthrough and his miracle? He's going to go lead thousands to Jesus. If God has protected you and provided for you, if you have a story, don't just sit back with your remote control after God does a great work in your life. No, you're on a mission. But prayer was the hinge. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 are in prison. They don't know if they're going to live or not. But you know what happened about midnight? They said, let's praise the Lord. Let's give them our problems and let's give them our praise. They gave them the problems. They gave them the praise. You know what happened? An earthquake came The jailer then came to know Jesus. Jailer's family came to know Jesus. Churches started. Now church is reaching Europe. Now the gospel's spreading in Europe. You say, what happened? Two guys at midnight who knew that prayer is the hinge said, we're going to give God our problems. We're going to praise God with all of our heart. We're going to set the culture inside of this jail and look what God does. Now we got time limits, so I can't keep going with prayer is the hinge. But, but, but I got to tell you, um, what's invisible translates and transitions to what's visible. And before you pray so often, the conviction that's going to come in your heart is something has to change. Slavery in Egypt, the Amalekites want to kill us. James was killed, now Peter's in prison. Something, we're thrown in prison 
Something has to change in Auburn. Something has to change in our family. Something has to change in our church. Something has to change in this country. Something has to change. Prayer is the hinge. I believe that 2022 is a hinge year. I believe that we are part of that hinge. I believe Grace Community Church is part of the hinge. I believe Auburn is part of the hinge for the sound. I believe that this is a hinge year. And I'm going to say this because this is what I've been hearing this last week. This, we're coming up on the third year of this, whatever you want to call it, pandemic situation. I mean, this started about three years ago. And it's been the biggest test for the church in America that we've seen in my lifetime. And I'll, I'll say this, initially, there's that punch in the mouth <laughs> where, uh, you know, not only are there physical illness and, and death, I mean, there's challenges, uh, we're not together, there's isolation, there's division, there's restrictions. I mean, it just felt like a punch in the mouth in the body of Christ. And then, I say like a second year is like, okay, we got to listen to the Lord. We better get in his word. We better get spiritual armor on. We better get praying. We better get fasting. We better make some adjustments. This isn't about programs in the church. This is about at home. This is about in our communities. This is about our land. This is about the next generations. We better start making some adjustments and listen to the Lord before it's too late. And now we're going into a third year. And I believe that there's been a lot of adjustments. There's a hunger. There's a remnant. There's a hunger. And I believe in the third year, I think of Jesus killed on Friday, but on the third day, I, this is a year where I believe revival and renewal is just sitting there for the taking for whoever wants to step in in Jesus' name in the land and live for him with some backbone and some unity. I believe it's sitting there right now for the taking and the kingdom will move forward in advance. And those are the days we're living in. So let's not have our head in our sand or be, you know, 10th round of the pity party. Let's comfort each other. Let's care for each other. Let's love each other. And let's advance in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what David's going to do because there's a vision in his life, not just in Jerusalem, but in the world. Here's the last part of the psalm. Going back to Psalm 57, verse 9. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And the third key is allegiance to Jesus is the ultimate decision in both times of danger and deliverance. It's not about the danger. It's not about the deliverance. It's about allegiance to Jesus. And I believe that's what's happening right now in our land is there's a testing and there's a sifting. And at the crux is allegiance to Jesus. And the body of Christ can no longer have one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. It's not going to work in the times we're living in. The body of Christ cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the word. And following Jesus with our mouths, kind of lukewarm over here. It's not going to work in the times we're living in. So you boil it down in its allegiance. And one more diagram. This is what I think we see in David's life and in Scripture. Steadfast, God's glory. When we're not steadfast, God is not glorified in our lives in the same way. But when we are steadfast, God's glory is so evident. And we see more of his glory. David makes many decisions. You can read the I wills 
in Psalm 57. You know, I will praise you. These are decisions. I will take refuge in you. He, he's going to say, my heart is steadfast. God be exalted in the nations. And he makes that decision. I believe that we need to be delivered in terms of following Jesus. We need to be delivered from the idols of being comfortable, from this message that just, you know, apathy and complacency are fine. It's just what American Christianity is. There's no real cost of following Jesus. I believe that's another lie. And following Jesus, it's kind of boring. I mean, you just go to church on the weekend. I mean, that's kind of what it is. That's spread so deep in American Christianity. It's like, well, I don't know, you just go to church on the weekend. It's not really for home. I mean, spiritual temperature at home is, <laughs> who cares? Uh, on mission during the week, no, no thanks. Kind of boring, yeah, comfortable and boring is fine. We'll take that. It's like, is that what Jesus calls us to? David knows that the calling of God in his life is one of being steadfast in allegiance. And allegiance comes from confidence. Confidence in God, confidence in the death and resurrection of Jesus, confidence in his return, confidence in his word. When you have confidence in Jesus, it leads to allegiance in him. And what you cultivate in the cave, you carry when you leave the cave. What you cultivate in the cave is what you're going to leave when you carry, what's what you're going to carry when you leave the cave. And David has learned how to pray, how to praise God, how to seek God, how to listen to God's song of hope. He's learned it in the cave. God's going to deliver him from the cave, and he's going to carry it as king and uniting the nation, and he's going to have a man after God's own heart, and he's going to have an influence that will affect the generations to come. Why? Because there's allegiance, and he'll stay steadfast in the darkest moments in the cave. And he'll learn those habits and cultivating those habits that he's going to carry out when he's no longer in the cave. What God teaches us in the cave, it's a song of triumph and a song of hope. That's what he learns in the cave. How to receive and listen to God, who's our protector, provider, his power, his promise, his presence. David learns in the cave that God has a song of triumph and hope. God has a purpose. I'm going to trust him in the cave. I'm going to trust him in the deliverance. And I'm going to close with this uh, in terms of a vision of the hope that God gives. Psalm 92 has stood out to me recently. Psalm 92 at the end is talking about later in life. And today, as we wrap up this series in fasting, may God give us a vision for all our days. For all our days. And in Psalm 92, it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. Would you receive that vision for your life? That in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you will stay fresh, you will stay green, you will proclaim the Lord is good, and you will abide and flourish with him. That's what David is going to experience coming out of the cave. All of his days, a man after God's own heart. Even when he messes up, receives God's mercy. And then, not only all your days, but all the nations. Will you receive a vision today for the nations? And I'm going to close with this. We have 40 international partners. We receive amazing stories of hope from them. Here's one from the Middle East. They're in a restricted country, so I can't give the details. 
but they are reflecting on the goodness of God for all he's done. They are discipling 20, 20 people, seeing them grow in their intimacy with Christ, their boldness in sharing their faith, prayer, and the ministry of the word. Also, starting Bible study groups now launched in the labor camps. How many people do you know that are launching Bible study in labor camps? And I think of also all the refugees in the world right now. Who's reaching the refugees? One of the people that they're training had to go back to South Asia because of COVID. And that one person has now reached more and more people. And there's 100 people gathered in South Asia as that one person has gone to that setting Allegiance to Jesus, living for the Lord. And then uh, the monthly outreach now in the park, and they've just seen over 40 people encounter Jesus. And, and we praise the Lord. He gets the glory. The vision, here, here's the vision. This is the hope. All of God's people, made in God's image, filled with his spirit, God's song of hope, not just here where we live, work, learn, or play, Locally, globally, God's song of hope that starts in our hearts, might start in the cave, but we carry it together. We carry this good news. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we get to see your glory in so many ways. God, we thank you. We praise you. God, born through the circumstances of rape, your presence, your purpose, we thank you. God, American and Korean children coming together as one family, we praise you. In the Middle East, so many people coming to know you. In South Asia, coming to know you, we praise you. God, in the student ministries right now, what we're seeing at our church, in our young adults, in the international student ministry, in so many ministries, prayer, drive-through, we praise you. Through this fasting and what you've revealed to us, we praise you. We praise you. God, change our hearts that we would come humble, that we would come hungry. God, we pray in this year, there are no limits to what you can do. God, we come in worship. We give you our problems today. We give you our praise today. Jesus, we have no one greater. Forgive us for our idols. Forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for our materialism. Forgive us for settling for so much less than what you have. God, we pray renewal in our hearts and families. We pray renewal in our church. Renewal in the land, God. A spiritual renewal for your glory. And God, I pray that we would be faithful. Thank you how you minister us in the cave. Your faithfulness and your love mean everything to us. And I pray that we would be steadfast, we would be courageous, we would be united, walking together. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.